good morning to all of you. Glad to see all of you here this morning, especially if it is your first time. We want to welcome you and say uh, good morning. We're thankful that you have worshipped with or come to worship with us this morning. Uh, Luke mentioned that we have been out at camp all week, and it is amazing to have 92 middle school campers uh, just to spend a week with them. And that might sound like uh, craziness to you, but uh, it was a craziness I missed last year, and I, I just love. Uh, I love that week of camp so much, uh, and uh, you know, there is a lot you can say about each week of camp, but it was only at our week of camp that Batman showed up, right? So um, I, I I just thought that was great, but I, I don't know if you ever had an experience with the West Virginia Batman, and that sounds funny to say, uh, but that guy has an amazing story and loves Jesus with all of his heart, and uh he does that, he does the Batman thing for Jesus, and that might not make sense, but have a conversation with him sometime, and uh, you'll, I think you'll find out quickly. Uh, I, I also um, just would encourage you, if you've never been a part of what's going on at Howell's Mill, I would encourage you to, to try it out. Send your kids out there one time, they, they will do whatever it takes in order for your child to have the best experience. Uh, and uh, and and Jesus is there in everything that we do. We have a lot of fun, but the, Jesus is there in a lot of that stuff, and it's just a great place for your kids to go uh, to get rid of them for a week. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but really, but, uh, uh, you know, your, your kid can go to a lot of camps, um, but this one is special. And so if you've never had that opportunity to send them out there, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, there's a high school week this week, there's another middle school week coming up, there's elementary week, we're about halfway, about the halfway point of the summer, and so there's an opportunity for all ages to go out there, uh, even today, for high school week, you can show up and, and go out there today, so I would encourage you to do so. I want to remind you of our QR code here, we don't, we didn't have an announcements video today, we don't uh, have bulletins, this is uh, the way to be up to date on what we got going on. So you can scan that QR code or go to gatewaychurch.net slash info. Uh, we also have QR codes throughout the building that you can scan, and uh, that's our online bulletin. You can have a message outline for the, the message we're about to have here in a moment, uh, but uh, you can also go and fill out the information card if you have any questions about anything, want to get involved somewhere, uh, or have, if you have a prayer request. Uh, that might be the biggest thing about this QR code if you've got something going on, we really believe in the power of prayer here at Gateway, and we want to be praying for you as a staff. We do that every week, and so uh, we would love to pray for you and whatever you might be in or a loved one. Um, let's let God in it, and so you can fill out that information card, and we'd love to pray over that with you. Um, you can also register your child for VBS uh, through that QR code. So a lot going on with it, and we hope uh, that you'll scan it and, and check that out. So. On November 9th, 1847, there was a, an engineer, a civil engineer named Charles Ellett Jr., and he was commissioned to build a bridge over the Niagara Gorge. Anybody ever been to the Niagara Gorge? It's kind of a tourist uh, spot. The problem when it comes to building a bridge that will span, so the Niagara Gorge is a, has an 825-foot long or wide uh, chasm. Uh, with a 20, with 225 feet cliffs on either side of it. And so the question when it comes to building a bridge or spanning that gap, the question becomes, how do you get to the, that first cable over to the other side? And really, that's a question you could ask about just about any bridge. Even the, the Silver Memorial Bridge, how did you span that gap between Ohio and West Virginia? Uh, some of you might wish that you, we never would have, but... Uh, but uh, 
How do you do that? Well, Enter Theodore Graves Hewlett, a local iron worker, who suggested something a little off the wall. I can imagine uh, the meeting where everybody's throwing out ideas, and then Mr. Hewlett raises his hand and says, what if we had a kite flying contest? He suggests to have a kite flying contest with a $10 uh, cash prize. Now, remember, this is 1847, so it might not sound like much now, but it was a little bit more then. And so they had this kite flying contest, $10 cash prize, and a 15-year-old boy named Homan Walsh would take home the prize for getting his kite across the chasm onto the other side first. Well, the next day, they attach a stronger line to his kite string, and, and, and then a rope, and then a cable with 36 strands of 10-gauge wire. And within a few days, they've got that first cable across. It would become the world's first railway suspension bridge strong enough to support a 170-ton locomotive. And it all started with a kite string. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. If you do little things like they're big things, God will do big things like they're little things. So we've been in a series called Win the Day, and we've covered three habits so far, flip the script, kiss the wave and eat the frog and, and today it looks like our message is titled uh, fly a kite and boy am i happy about that because i've really got some frustrations with you people i can't wait to get off my chest and so y'all can go fly a kite <laughs> oh wait hold on it's oh it's fly the kite oh i take it back i'm sorry that's a different message for another day uh but okay so fly the kite uh, habit number four to help us win the day. If you have a Bible, we're going to be hanging out in the book of Zechariah chapter four, so you can go on and head on over there. I'll meet you there here in just a moment. And so as you head that way, as we dive into what it looks like to fly the kite, let me lead off with this. How you do anything is how you will do everything. How you do anything is how you will do everything. You're, if you're faithful with a little, then you'll be faithful with a lot. Perhaps you've been in a job interview where they're asking you some odd questions, questions that don't really pertain to the actual job itself, and it might seem a little off the wall. And for sure, there are some weird people conducting interviews that just ask some weird questions. But sometimes they're asking questions, they're trying to feel out your character and your work ethic with the small things, how you'll handle the small things before they will give you the big things. Sometimes something as small as somebody is stopping in the parking lot to pick up a piece of trash that everybody else has left behind can show you a lot about their character and their leadership, that they would care enough about the place they work at or the place that they go to every day that they would stop to pick up that piece of trash when nobody else would. You know, this idea of how you do things, how you do anything was how you'll do everything. What you do with the small things is how you'll deal with the big things. It goes to our, when we talk about giving generously. Some people will say, I, I will give more generously when I have more money. And that sounds great, but I don't know that if I believe you, because if you aren't generous with the little time, talent, and treasure that you have, well, you're not going to be generous with a lot either. See, generosity starts now. There isn't some switch that flips when you reach a certain level of abundance. You know, the switch needs to get flipped in your heart long before that. I know people that will, they say, uh, I'll serve when I have more time. Well, first of all, where are you magically getting all of this time? 
Uh, if you have a time creation machine, uh, let me know about it. Uh, it reminds me of this picture I saw on Facebook a couple weeks back uh, that I thought was pretty true. Tommy, I don't know if you have it here. There it is. All right, so me in 2019, if I could just have a week with nowhere to go and nothing to do, I could get my house in order. Me in 2021, nope, that wasn't the problem. Uh, you know, it's a be careful what you wish for situation here, right? Uh, time doesn't just magically appear. You don't just find time laying along the side of the road, right? No, you have to make time. And I know people who say that they'll step up big when the big opportunity or when the right opportunity presents itself. I'm just waiting for it. But you're not going to do that if you aren't seizing the small opportunities that are around you all the time. Mark Batterson is the author of this book, When the Day, that we've kind of been going through. And he mentions a friend that he has that used to train Marines. And in the basic school that he trained at, there was a sign that read, you don't rise to the occasion you revert to your training. To do the big, you have to start with the small. So it's okay to dream big. I mean, show me the size of your dreams, and I'll show you the size of your God. Go after a dream that, that is destined to fail. If God doesn't intervene, if God doesn't help you, then it'll fail. Go after something big. But you can't just dream big and then just cross your fingers and hope that it happens. You have to do the natural so God can do the super. You have to start small and think long. And that's what flying the kite is all about. A single kite string can eventually become a bridge between two countries. All right, so Zechariah 4 is where we're at this morning. Let me set the context for you just a little bit. Zerubbabel is the leader of this remnant that returns to the nation of Judah with a God-sized vision to rebuild the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed in 586 B.C. And so we're about 50 years later. Here's Zerubbabel, and he's looking around at the ruins, and the Lord says to him in verse 6, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, this will be rebuilt. And then we read in Psalm 127, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. If God isn't involved, it ain't going anywhere. You know, I have a confession this morning, and this might come as a shock to some of you, uh, but without the help of the Holy Spirit, I am merely below average. Now, maybe you hear that this morning and you think, you are below average with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I would say to you, if you think this is bad, then just imagine if I didn't have the Holy Spirit. Every week, I ask the Holy Spirit to come and change the message I'm about to preach for what He wants you to hear, the message you need to hear on that morning, and to prepare your hearts in advance before you even pull in the parking lot. See, I, I need His help. On my own, I can accomplish little, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the Holy Spirit is the X factor. The Holy Spirit is the one that needs to be involved in all this. See, Jesus said that apart from me, you can do nothing. He said that to his disciples before his death, and then he ascends into heaven after his death and resurrection, leaving the Holy Spirit behind for each one of us. A greater one will come in my place. 
The Holy Spirit's the X factor. It's the difference between the best that you can do and the best that God can do. Let me tell you something this morning. God wants to do something in you and through you that is beyond your best ability, beyond your resources, beyond your imagination. Why? So he gets all the glory. Because anything that goes above what we can do, man, God gets all the glory. When people ask, how? How can you do that? It's all God. And how's it going to happen? By his spirit. Not by your might or your power, but by his spirit. All right, so back to Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 7. Zechariah says, What are you, mighty mountain? What are you, mighty mountain? You ever been there before? Whatever the obstacle is in front of you, you start talking to him. I and Zechariah is talking to a mountain, right? So you start talking to it. See, there comes a moment where you stop talking to God about your mountains and start talking to your mountains about God. You declare his power. His grace, his peace, his glory, his love, his goodness, his healing. You don't deny the obstacles or the odds that face you. No, you face them head on. But you do it with an unwavering faith. You don't lose faith in the end of the story. You don't doubt that he's there. You take on whatever you're facing head on as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, and as a citizen of the kingdom of God. But there's one caveat to all of this. All these dreams, all these things... Every prayer that we pray, every dream that we have has to pass a two-fold litmus test. Is it the will of God, and is it for the glory of God? And if it's not, then you need to go back to the drawing board and start over. But if it is, then press on and keep going after it. And I'm not sure what mountain stands in your way this morning. I don't know what you come here facing what mighty mountain stands in front of you it could be anxiety addiction anger injustice terminal illness depression frustration fear and on and on and on i mean you might be coming here this morning you might be facing a mountain range it's in those moments though that we have to fall back on what we know for sure it's in those moments when the mighty mountain is standing there in your path that you cling to the promises of our god It's in those moments that you remember that our God is still the God who makes highways through the sea. Our God is still the God who can make the sun stand still. He's still the God who turned water into wine, and he's still the God who moves mountains. If God did it before, he can do it again. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. Why? Because he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. All right, back to Zechariah chapter 4. Let's drop down to verse 10, and this is where we start to fly the kite. In verse 10 we read, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hands. Now for context, a plumb line was an ancient measuring tape. And I want you to notice that, that God here is rejoicing before they've even started building. They don't even have permits yet. They haven't broken ground. Zerubbabel has just picked up the measuring tape. Now, maybe some of you guys can relate here. You've been putting off things on your honeydew list for so long that your wife starts cheering just when you pick up the hammer, like, oh, we might do something this time. All right. But you know one of the reasons that I love God? Because nothing is too small for God. The next time you think your life is too small for God, remember that he started cheering on Zerubbabel when he picked up the measuring tape. 
God celebrates the small steps of faith. He celebrates the small acts of kindness. Nothing is too big for our God, but nothing is too small for him either. He celebrates the small steps, the small acts. And whatever you think is small and insignificant, God is giving a stand and innovation for. Don't ever think that your steps of faith or, or kindness go unnoticed by God, no matter how big or small they might be. I want to pivot now to a, another person involved in, with the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem after they return from exile, and that's Nehemiah. And so you can head over to Nehemiah chapter 1 if you want to stay with me this morning. Ne- Nehemiah was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes during the time that the Jewish people returned from exile. And he's, get, he's greatly troubled to hear about the condition of his people and of the city. Nehemiah's compassion drives him to action, and he has a dream of rebuilding his city, which is no easy task. It's lying in ruin. And I think we are often easily overwhelmed by the size and the scope of the dreams that God has set before us. That's why 75% of us give up on our New Year's resolutions within the first month. That's why 83% of people say, hey, I I would love to write a book, but few people ever do. We see the mighty mountain of work lying before us, and we give up really before we even start. But here's the thing. You can't finish what you don't start. It doesn't matter whether you're writing a book or or running a marathon, getting a graduate degree. You've got to fly the kite. You've got to start small and then continue to build until eventually you've bridged the gap between you and whatever it is you hope to accomplish. But you've got to fly the kite before you can hope to bridge the gap. So three keys this morning to flying the kite. One, go ahead and dream big, but start small. Two, expect opposition and plan accordingly. And three, if you want every day to count, count every day. So number one, dream big, but start small. Just like home and Walsh, you have to start with the kite string before you can span the gap with the suspension cable. Nehemiah had a dream that his city would one day reach its former glory. He he loved his city and his people so much. And just hearing the distress that his people were going through and the condition of his city, it caused him to weep. And so he develops this dream to rebuild the city. But he doesn't get ahead of himself. He doesn't let his excitement get too far out ahead of him. Instead, before he starts anything else, he starts small and he prays. And prayer is such a small, easy step, but it has giant ramifications if we start with it. See, Nehemiah knew that in order for this project, this dream to be successful, God had to be involved from the beginning. And, and not in a, in a way of, hey, God, I'm going to do this. I've had this dream. We've, we started work last week. You good with this? Can you, can you back us up, please? See, he didn't want his labor to be in vain, so he wanted to make sure God was behind him from the beginning. And this wasn't just a a quick prayer to to clue God in on what he planned to do. Instead, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Before they started, he laid it at the feet of God, and he sought his blessing. Verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I don't know about you, 
But I have a tendency when I get really excited about a project or get really excited about something, I, I have a tendency to kind of get out ahead of, uh, of myself or get out ahead of God even sometimes. See, we, a lot of us have a tendency to ask God to bless the decisions that we've already made, the things that we've already started chasing instead of asking him first. It reminds me of the whole like ask for permission versus ask for forgiveness debate. Only now it's more ask for guidance or ask for him to bless what you've already started. But God, or, but Nehemiah knew that he wouldn't be able to do this without God's help. He, he was going to need God's super to team up with his natural, and so he invited God into his dream from the beginning. You know, I'm sure that spanning this Niagara Gorge, it, it started out as just a, as a big idea. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that? But as you survey the 825-foot gap, you got to imagine that they could be easily overwhelmed with the enormity of this job. How in the world are we going to get from here to there? How do we start this? Nehemiah could have easily become overwhelmed with the size of the project that was in his future. The wall is in ruin. The city, I mean, it's ruins before him, but instead he started with a kite string and went from there. And so by all means, dream big. Make God-sized goals. Stretch your faith in new ways. As long as it's in the will of God and for the glory of God, shoot high so you can give him all the glory that he deserves. But you have to start small by inviting him in through prayer. Number two, expect opposition and plan accordingly. See, not everybody was on board with this reconstruction of the wall. Nehemiah faced opposition from three specific individuals and their, and their people throughout the restoration of the wall. Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sambalat heard that, he, that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? I just get this image of this guy, like big, hulking kind of figure, uh, big, thick mustache. Maybe he's got a curved sword, and he's just hurt, heaping these insults on him, trying to beat him down. Probably in the psychological game, there's no way you can do this. What are you doing? But Sambalot wasn't the only one that they were facing. Continuing on in chapter 4. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on, up on it would break down their wall of stones. And, and now I get this image. For anybody that's ever seen A Christmas Story, the two bullies in the alley, uh, there's like the, big, uh, like the big scary kid, and then there's like his little crony. I, I, I kind of look at like Tobiah as the crony. Like, yeah, yeah you show him. Later on, Nehemiah mentions a man named Geshem the Arab, along with the rest of our enemies in chapter 6. And these men, they were very angry that Nehemiah and the people were were rebuilding this wall. And they plotted together to fight against them. So as if there weren't enough problems trying to rebuild this wall, the enormity of this project, well, now they have an opposition that's trying to stop them at every turn. Imagine Homan Walsh comes to the Niagara Gorge that day, and on top of this 825-foot chasm, on top of the wind, on top of the conditions, on top of the fact that he's trying to land a kite on the other side of it, 
On top of all that, pretty soon a crowd of protesters comes up with their signs and they're, and they're shouting insight, insults. Oh, you can't do that. that. That's a girly kite. You can't, you know, like all these things. No way you can land that over there. And, and then they start threatening them. They say, if you don't stop that, we're going to throw you off the cliff, right? You will not span this chasm. It sounds kind of crazy, it sounds kind of silly, but it would be a lot on top of what he was already trying to do. You know what, whatever your goals are, whatever your dreams are, even, when, even if you break it down into the smaller habits like we've been talking about here, you have to expect that you're going to face some sort of opposition. And maybe it's not a group of angry protesters, though these days you never know what you'll run into, but there will be some sort of opposition that you face. Maybe it's the internal voice that says, you can't do this. You need to stop right now. It's not worth it. Or maybe it's external voices that say, this is a waste of time. What are you doing? This is a waste of money. Whether it be earthly or spiritual, you're going to face some sort of opposition. The question is, how will you face that opposition when it comes? Let's look at how Nehemiah responded to his. In verse 9, But we prayed, But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Drop down to verse 13. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So he went to God in prayer first, and then planned for the opposition. So when you face the opposition that threatens your work, or your dreams, or your goals, remember that there is no greater weapon than prayer. Let's go to the one that can actually do something about it before we do anything else. And so no matter what it is you're trying to accomplish, God is there waiting for you to depend on him. Because again, when we depend on him and we go above what we can do, he gets all the glory. And so expect opposition and pray continuously. But also plan accordingly. Be ready with a plan B so that your dreams or goals are not destroyed when a little adversity comes your way. Nehemiah, he didn't give up in the face of opposition. He could have, I mean, he could have been like, oh, well, they don't want us to do this. All right, sorry, guys. You know, we'll try something else. Right, we'll go build a house for somebody. No, he could have walked away upset, but instead he just shifted to another plan. He changed his plan on the fly. He adapted his plan to allow for people to work and defend against the attacks at the same time. In the face of opposition, win the day. Don't get discouraged when the work gets harder, when people tell you that you can't do it, or when people are hurling insults at you. Take each day, one day at a time. If you can do it one day, if you can overcome the negativity and opposition for one day, you can do it again tomorrow. Start building your days. All right, number three. If you want every day to count, count every day. If something matters to you, you count it. Uh, we, We all know our ages. We count the years that somebody has been alive. Now, maybe some of you would wish us to stop doing that, but that's what we do. Uh, You know how many years you've been married. Guys, this is a test. Uh, You know how many years you've been at your job. But what about days? 
Do you know how many days you've been married? I set you up for something bad there, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, Do you know how many days you've been at your job? I mean, you could probably figure it out if I gave you enough time. You could kind of reverse engineer it, uh, take the years, multiply by 365, carry the two. Okay, you can get there. But who knows just, just, just knows without thinking about it? Like, wakes up in the morning and says, ready to go to work. This is day 2468. Can't wait, right? <laughs> but you know who does that? Someone who makes each day count. If you ask somebody in addiction recovery, they'll be able to tell you how many days they've been sober. Why? Because they're making each day count. Each day is its own day, and they work on tomorrow, tomorrow. And when you start making each day count, when you start winning one day at a time, you can start building a winning streak. Any sports fan can can see the change in their team when they start getting on a winning streak. Their confidence begins to grow. They they become, the the luck just starts going, the breaks start going their way. And, And it seems like they're unstoppable sometimes. They're just a different team on a winning streak. And same can be true for you and I when it comes to whatever dream or goal or, or, or whatever you might be chasing. We need to start stacking our days and, and getting on a winning streak and then just see how your confidence grows. If you've really been struggling, but you can just win one day at a time, well, pretty soon, after day five, six, seven, eight, well, I got this. I, I, I've, got, I've done this eight days in a row. I can do this. When Nehemiah and the people finished the wall, he didn't just say, in his memoir, uh, we finished it eventually. (laughs) Now he says in chapter 6, verse 15, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. On Nehemiah, like Nehemiah, he he was definitely counting the days. He was definitely making each day count. I mean, he even threw a little sass on there, just 52 days. And let's be honest, if you're going to complete a massive project the size of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem using a bunch of lay people in only 52 days, uh, you're gonna, first you're going to brag on God a little bit, and then you're going to make each day count. You don't have a choice. If you're trying to get this done quickly with this opposition, you're going to make each day count. There's, there was no, oh, uh, well, we didn't work today because the concrete guy didn't show up. Or, or there was no, we couldn't work today because it rained. No, they made each day count, and so they counted the days. version, the people behind the Bible app that many of us use, they introduced the streaks feature in 2017. And in their blog post introducing the feature, they said, we designed streaks specifically to help you build your habit of connecting with God through his word. And so if you're going to be getting back into reading the Bible daily, streaks can help you take one day at a time, and then stack the days as you go. And consistency is the key to long-term success when it comes to our habits. And reading your Bible is no different. Last week we said that that consistency, it it, it rules over intensity every day of the week. And when it comes to reading our Bible, we can, can, on January 1st, we can say, hey, I'm going to read the Bible in a year this year. But it's consistency that gets it done, not the intensity at the beginning. Whatever your goal, start winning each day and making each day count. Get on a a daily winning streak and see how your confidence grows and your life changes as a result. You know, Holman Walsh, he went to the Niagara Gorge that day to win a $10 flight, er, (laughs) 
kite flying contest. I did that first service too. He, he may have had no idea that there was anything more to that. Maybe he just wanted some, some bubble gum that day. You know, like he just thought, oh, $10, this is great. But when they got that first win, on the other side that first time, they took started stacking wins. And pretty soon there was a bridge. They made each victory count. And each victory got them closer and closer to their goal. And the same can happen for you and me, but you have to fly the kite first. My hope with all of these habits that we're talking about, I've been talking about for the last few weeks, my hope is that with these habits is that you would use them to grow closer to Jesus. My hope is that you would use them to tell others about Jesus and give God the glory for what he's doing in your life. My hope is that your life will become a living sacrifice for him, a testimony to what only God can do. See, we have a tendency to dream small, and we think of only the things we can accomplish on our own, but maybe it's time to start dreaming big so you can show what God can truly do. Jesus says in Matthew 17, 20, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say this to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. I want to point out, that's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. That's not Paul or Peter saying that is Jesus saying that. So dream big and then start small. You have to start somewhere. Expect that there will be moments of adversity and opposition and then plan accordingly. And make every day count by counting the days. Do the little things like they're the big things and let God do big things like they are small. Invite him into all that you're doing. Involve the one, the only one that can make a difference into all that you're doing and just see what God can do. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that you let us be a part of what you are doing on this earth. We are so thankful for your spirit that takes things beyond what we can do and turns it into what you can do. Father, we're thankful that we don't have to depend on a burning bush or a talking donkey or a prophet or, or, or somebody specific to hear from you. Even when you sent your son Jesus, the only way to experience him was to see it in person. But when Jesus left this earth, he left so we could get something better, so that your spirit could live in each one of us. Father, I pray that we never take that for granted. I pray that there's not a day that we wake up that we don't realize that we have your Holy Spirit living within us. And that we would thank you every day for that. Father, I pray that we would, we would look to reach people in new ways, that we would, we would look to give you glory in new ways, that it wouldn't just be about bettering our lives, but it would be about giving you the utmost glory. To see you work in our community, to work in our, our church, to work in this world in, in just amazing ways so we can say, wow, that was God. We could never do that without God. Father, I pray that we would wake, wake up each day and depend on your spirit to do amazing things in, in us and through us. And take advantage of the grace that you've afforded us. Father, we are so thankful for your love and the grace that you have for each one of us. That you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross for each one of us so our sins would be wiped away. 
that he would be resurrected on the third day. We have an eternal hope that extends beyond this world. And for the grace that you've given each one of us, that we get to be a part of your plan, that we get to be a part of what you are doing, and we get to see you working through us. Father, I pray that we would never take that for granted. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.